Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. But today, as many of you probably know, Valentine's Day happened about 10 days ago. Now, uh, if you didn't know, guys, and you're like, oh man, I missed that one. There, here, there you go. I just told you, so you can go back, take care of it right now. Uh, you probably better get on it, though. Ten days late is a little late. Uh, around Valentine's Day, I like to take a Sunday and talk specifically about one attribute of love that is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, two Sundays before, though, and after the 14th were already accounted for, we had a missionary, and then I was finishing the series last week. So we're going to do that today, this last Sunday of February. 1 Corinthians 13, of course, famously known as the what chapter? The love chapter. The love. I like the way somebody said that. Love chapter. That's good. I know that many of you, you can probably recite those attributes of love pretty well. It's a beautiful chapter that's focused on what we should define love as here on this earth. Now, in your worst moments, when maybe your spouse was frustrating you, you may have said, now, dear, love is patient, love is kind. If you did that, it didn't work out very well for you. I can almost guarantee it. (laughs) That chapter does note that our knowledge and our understanding of love on this earth is incomplete. And it will be that way until we get to heaven. It's really poetically written by Paul. But until then, we're to place biblical love at a place of highest importance in our lives. I love, whenever I do a wedding, I will quote verse 13 of this chapter. Uh, particularly, I love the message paraphrase, the way that it says it. First uh, Corinthians 13, 13 in the message, it says this. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. The best of the three is love. Hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. Let's be clear this morning, man. God's hope for all of your relationships, but especially your relationship with your spouse, if you have one, is that it will be defined by these few verses. And I want to encourage you today, if you are married, if you're thinking about being married, make it your goal to love, pursue love, as these verses that we're about to read in a minute instruct us to do. Now, if you're hoping to see them in your spouse, the best way, like I mentioned a moment ago, the best way is to not tell them to do them. The best way is to make them true inside of us first. Now, if you're not married but considering being married, look at your relationship that you're in right now through the magnifying glass of this passage. Throw all the stuff the world tells you out and just place this passage right over it like a magnifying glass. We always say here, I just want to say it again, no matter how your family looks right now, what struggles you've gone through, whatever it is, God wants it to be good right now. God wants your family to be good. He wants your kids to know Jesus. He wants you to know Jesus, Jesus to be glorified in your home. The way that starts is with uh, pursuing these qualities and honoring him with their lives. Um, You know, I'm going to reference my family a little bit this morning. I just want you to know, anytime we talk about something like this, man, by no means do we have... uh, all this stuff figured out. Uh, We've learned a lot over the last 16 years, and we're about to learn more having a new baby after eight years without one. Um, But I just want you to know, man, we don't have a corner on this market. We're always learning, just like you. Uh, But also, there's things in the Bible that help us and direct us the right way. But the question is, how do we, the question we tackle every year around Valentine's Day is this, how do we live in this world? This world that we live in, the one you can pull out your phone and read about, go see outside uh, this property. How do we live in this world, yet still hope unswervingly in love 
extravagantly. So I don't see a lot of that type of love that's in 1 Corinthians in the world sometimes. So how do we do it? That's why we have these attributes listed in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. The reason we have these is because so there's some kind of roadmap for how in the world we are to do this. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We've got them on the screen there for you in a minute. I'm reading to you today out of the NIV, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It says this, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We'll stop there, but you know the next line says, love never fails. I don't know that I've actually counted it up this way before, but this week when I was studying this, within those four verses, there's eight things that love embraces, eight things that love resists. And today, we are looking for the first time uh, at something that love does not do. You see, after love is patient, love is kind. 1 Corinthians 13, we read it there, tells us that love resists envy. This morning, we're going to talk about two reasons why envy is destructive in a relationship and also the antidote if envy has crept into our hearts. Now, envy is something that can be a little bit difficult to define. Especially because some of the Bibles you are looking at right now, it just might have said jealousy. You, must, you might have been like, dude, I don't see envy anywhere. It's, mine says jealousy. So it's most helpful to look at the original Greek word. The original Greek word I have on the screen for you. I'm probably horribly mispronouncing it. Uh, Ziluai means literally to burn with zeal. That's the word that's written down there. What Paul was trying to get across was this feeling of overheating with anger over something that's happening in someone else's life that we love. And in a relationship, we can see, just think about it for a moment, how amazingly, incredibly destructive that would be. And if we know just a little bit of that Greek meaning, it's easy to see how it's often interchanged with jealousy, and they're close. Depending on which version you have, it might say that NIV, ESV, New King James, I'll say NV, NLT, uh, which I read during the week, it uses the word jealousy. Let's dig in this morning, though, to why envy is an enemy of true love. But also, what the antidote to envy is, because there is one. This morning, first thing we must know about envy is this. Number one, envy builds barriers where there should be open space. Like we've been talking about, it helps us if we can accurately define that word envy just a little bit. Unpack it a little bit. What does it mean? Just so you have it, I have it on the screen for you there. The dictionary definition of envy is this, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. There you go. There's the dictionary definition. As with many things, the dictionary does not really do it justice. Awesome. We read some words on a page. For example, here's, the, here's what I mean. For example, if you, like I do, you love a good hamburger. Anybody love a good hamburger? Thank you. That's the, like the best response I got all day so far. I'm just joking. <laughs> love a good hamburger. Here's the dictionary definition of a hamburger. Didn't even put it on the screen because it's not even worth reading for you, but I'll read it to you. A round patty of ground beef, fried or grilled, and typically served on a bun or roll and garnished with various condiments. Doesn't sound that amazing, does it? It's nothing like an actual hamburger. 
That is the technical dictionary definition of a hamburger, but that does not tell you what West Side Driving's hamburgers are like. Just doesn't. Or doesn't, maybe for you, uh, you can go out in the backyard and cook one up way better than that. That definition does not describe what you do in the backyard on your barbecue. Might be the definition, but it doesn't really do it justice. But even when talking about some kind of strong emotion, I was thinking about it, and something maybe like the ocean is a little more instructive in this case. The dictionary definition of the ocean, just in case you're wondering. I love the ocean, one of my favorite things. Here's the dictionary definition of the ocean. A very large, expansive sea, in particular, each of the main areas, into which the sea is divided geographically. Doesn't sound that great. That's technically what the ocean is. But those words I just read to you, they don't do much to help you understand what the ocean is. To really understand the ocean, here's what you got to do. You got to experience it. If you're going to experience the ocean from Boise, Idaho today, you need to get in your car. You need to drive straight west to Seaside or Cannon Beach. Pretty much, you just go west. You don't even need a map. If you ever get to like an interchange, just choose west and you'll end up at the coast. Eventually, you'll get there. You'll get out of the car. And man, the thing I love about the ocean is the sound. I love the way the ocean sounds. But you'll get out of the car, you'll feel the air, you'll hear the sound, you'll walk up to the edge and you'll let it come up around your ankles and you will realize how vast it is. A lot of you can probably smell the ocean in the air. I can't. I have almost no sense of smell. But I literally can feel the ocean in the air when we get close to the coast. I can describe the ocean to you with the dictionary definition, but you can't know it until you experience it. And a strong emotion like envy, especially when it's connected to someone that we care deeply about, it has that same effect. So yeah, on the screen, that's what the dictionary says about envy, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing, aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. But that does not help you know what to watch out for very well. Fortunately, though, I, can't, I cannot make you feel an emotion. That sounds like some sort of crazy movie plot, right? The guy who can make everyone else feel any emotion he wants. That would be dangerous. But we can describe it a little more accurately. By the way, the reason to do this is so we know what to watch for. We want to know what it is, what it feels like. In our relationships, we can define envy as, I think this is a little more accurate, a deep response to the success or failure of someone else. Responding to success with resentment, responding to failure with joy. Responding to success with resentment, responding to failure with joy. Now, I was thinking about this as I was writing this this week, and when we talked these last couple years about uh, patience and kindness, it's actually really easy to give examples from my family when it comes to my wife because those are positive attributes, Right, that's easy. It's fun to talk about how when we're patient and kind. Not as fun to talk about when we've envied. So what kind of example do you come up with? I didn't even know she was going to be in here today, so fortunately I didn't pick anything crazy. <laughs> I was thinking about it, though, uh, an example in our lives where we've had some envy. And uh, I was talking to the worship team people about this before. Uh, I, here's a, t- a time when I've had envy in my life towards my wife. Don't worry, dear. It's a good story. I... Uh, This is going to surprise you, but um, maybe it'll surprise you, maybe not. But I uh, have been pulled over more than anyone you know that is not a hardened criminal. I'm talking 50, 60, 70 times. It's it's the truth, the God's honest truth. 
I, it's insane. I don't even drive that fast. Here's an example of some of the things I, John Eugene Heisler III, who have never been arrested, broken a law on purpose, not a hardened criminal. These are some of the things I have been pulled over for in my life. A license plate light out. Not a joke. Turning too sharply. I was pulled over for, do you know why I pulled you over? No, you took that corner much too sharply. Okay. I once got pulled over. I was, I was driving a Jetta that I had at the time, and apparently Jettas are drug dealer cars because they had big trunks. Didn't know this, but uh, on my way home from church when I was a youth pastor, and I was driving, and I passed a policeman going the other way, and he full on hit the brakes, turned on the lights, did the Dukes of Hazard, chased me down. Do you know why I pulled you over? No, sir. Got tail light out. I... Uh, this is a story for another time because it's really long. I almost got arrested outside the church I worked at. I, I mean, they detained me for 45 minutes, hands on my waist, sitting on the front of the police car while they searched the building, walking from my house or from the church to my, the parsonage where I lived. I mean, I've just got crazy story after crazy story. I got pulled over once for speeding, and I was speeding, and the policeman kept my license for no reason and then claimed he didn't, and I went on this, like, three-month journey of trying to get my license back. But my wife, my wife who I love so much, she is a slow and a safe, a sometimes wandering driver, but slow and safe. Is this true, dear? Yes, you know, I see it's true. Now, when uh, Christina was in about ninth grade, uh, uh, they were driving, Shonda was driving, and they were talking about school, and they had gotten ice cream at Arctic Circle. If you live in CUNA, you go to Arctic Circle and you get ice cream. That's just what you do. And uh, she got pulled over, and the policeman said something like, when he came up to the window, clearly you were under the influence of ice cream. I pulled you over because you were scaring me crossing over the center line. Have a nice day, ma'am. She comes home, she tells me that story, and the first thing I think is not, boy, I'm just so glad that that went so well for you. I think, why don't I get treated like that by the police? I'm getting pulled over license plate lights and nearly arrested for walking to my house. I had the tiniest bit of envy that I don't get the same treatment that she gets. Humorous example, but that is what envy is. Responding to someone else's success with just a tiny bit of resentment. I got over it. Turns out, just to happy ending to the getting pulled over story, if you wear a hood all the time, they think you're a bad guy and they pull you over. So, hot tip. Listen, if we're angry when someone that we love succeeds or we rejoice when something bad happens to them, that means that... Envy has found a place inside of us. And without even speaking about the effect it has on us, we should consider how envy is spoken of in the Bible, because 1 Corinthians 13 is not the only spot. Consider what James 3.16 tells us. It says this, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Disorder in every evil practice is in the room if envy is in the room. You see, where we find envy, we find chaos and we find lack of understanding. This is what the Bible tells us. If we're talking this morning in the context of our relationship with our spouse or anyone important in our life, when we get married, especially when we're talking about a spouse, we're committing to something really important. That is that their success is our success. And their disappointment is our disappointment and vice versa, of course. That's what we're committing to. This is part of that phrase we always say at wedding, just about every one, for better or for worse. 
One place that envy tends to creep in is if our spouse sees success in something that they are doing. But instead of being happy that they are seeing success they hoped for, and they probably even deserve, they must be awesome because we married them, right? Our first thought is, well, that should be me. I've been working just as hard. Man, the plan was for my work to bring home the main part of the income, not the other way around. This is not how we planned it. Or the flip side would be if our spouse experiences disappointment. We're secretly glad because that means we don't have to experience a disappointment. Or that we get to experience success instead. Man, I'm so glad that my spouse did not get that promotion because that would have kept me from being able to move up in my job because I would have had to spend more time with the family. Just an example, but it's a common way that envy rears its head in uh, our relationships. Something that I believe strongly a successful marriage is predicated upon is believing the best in each other. Believing that no matter what a situation looks like on the surface, that our spouse has our best interests at heart. And when we believe the best in our spouse, then it can give them confidence even when they face extreme difficulty. If we know that, no matter the difficulty of the day, our spouse is going to understand where we are coming from. Even if no one else, even if it seems like we're speaking Chinese, everybody else, our spouse is going to understand. Even if our spouse doesn't agree with us, because that happens, even in awesome marriages, uh, their disagreements happen. They still believe where we're coming from, and they believe uh, in the condition of our heart, because the lines of communication between us are clear. And in any relationship, when we know that there's no hidden agenda that's created by envy, it leaves space for us to be who God has called us to be. It leaves space for our relationships and for our marriage to be what God designed it to be. But when we allow envy to begin to take root inside of our hearts, a barrier starts to get built up brick by brick. Now, it might be so small at first that we don't even notice it amidst everything else that we have going on. But the more envy we allow to creep into our heart, the more difficult it becomes to see where the other person might be coming from. Pretty soon, what it seems like is we can only hear them shouting instead of seeing them face to face. And the person that we should have the most in common with, it suddenly seems like they suddenly seem like our enemy. And the reality is it doesn't have that much to do with them. It has more to do with us. And where there should be space and understanding, there's nothing but obstacles. And just like James 3 tells us, chaos and disorder begins to reign. Envy creates barriers where there should be open space. second thing we must understand about envy is envy is often hidden, but it destroys us from the inside. This is one of those emotions uh, that our first impulse is to hide. Probably because we as humans, if you are a human, especially in the United States, you are conditioned to never show vulnerability. Man, if you show vulnerability, someone's going to take advantage of you. And honestly, it's not terrible to be guarded with people who are bad news, who don't have our best interests at mind, at heart. But even in our marriages, what we tend to do is bury negative emotions instead of speaking about them with honesty. But here's what Proverbs tells us about envy specifically. I told you the Bible says a lot about envy. Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. What an apt, amazing description that Solomon, the poet, has come up with for envy. 
Envy is something that rots the bones. Now think about that for a second. If something is inside our bones, if it's rotting our bones, that means it can be wreaking tremendous destruction upon us, but it remains unseen by others. You may feel the pain, but no one else can see it, even the people that are closest to us. Now, a bone that is broken has obvious symptoms in many cases, right? If you break a bone, you've got bruising, you've got swelling, extreme cases. Uh, You can tell that the bone is crooked, right? And you're like, hey, maybe you should go to the doctor. Now, if you've been to the doctor to get a broken bone checked out, they give you an x-ray. You've probably got it immobilized with a cast or a boot or something like that, some way, shape, or form. Even if you have broken a bone and you have neglected to get it looked at, it's going to be obvious enough that someone who cares about you is going to see you and say, hey, you should go to the doctor and get that checked out. Hopefully they drive you there if you can't, you know, get in the car and drive yourself. But something that starts inside of our bones, it can only be known by us. And by the time other people see it, it's done tremendous damage. It's really interesting to me the way that what Solomon says here about envy. And it's really common that Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs, the author uses two things that contrast to make a point. Solomon, he could have used anything he wanted to contrast with a heart at peace. And a heart at peace is what we all hope for. The thing he chooses that is the opposite of a heart at peace is envy. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And in the context of our relationships, friends, man, two hearts at peace, they have tremendous power to bring life. You've got two hearts at peace in your house, they've got tremendous power to bring life. But envy destroys that peace from the inside. I believe if we kind of trace it through the Bible, we can even see how envy brings destruction. You see, something that envy leads to at some point, even if not at first, is comparison. When we envy someone else, we compare ourselves to them. You know, to take it back to the humorous example, if I'm comparing myself to my wife and her abilities of being able to be pulled over and not getting in trouble for it, I'm comparing myself to her. Why? 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 It's because she's more pretty than me. That's probably the actual reason. (laughs) Comparing myself. But one of the reasons that Paul wrote this specific passage to the Corinthians is because of how they were treating each other. What they were doing is some of them were ranking different spiritual gifts. And they were expressing envy or jealousy towards uh, people whose gifts they thought were better than theirs. And if we're not careful as we navigate the ups and downs, the twists and turns of this life, uh, because they'll inevitably come, we are vulnerable to the same thing, even with the people that we care the most about. See, we start to compare whether or not we think we are being treated fairly. We start to compare, boy, do I have enough time for myself? We start to compare, is is my career being valued? We start to compare, my financial goals being valued here? It was President Theodore Roosevelt who said this, comparison is the thief of joy. Sounds like it should be in the Bible, but it's not in there. Theodore Roosevelt said it. Doesn't make it any less true, though. Comparison is the thief of joy. What is in the Bible is what comparison has the potential to lead us to if left unchecked. And that is pride. When we compare, it leads to pride inside of our hearts. Here's what Proverbs 16, 18 says about pride. You've probably heard this first. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit 
before a fall. Now, depending on the translation, there's anywhere between 50 and 60 mentions of pride and where it leads to in the Bible. 50 and 60. You see, when we compare, pride begins to creep into our hearts. Here's things that we tend to think, and uh, again, just speaking from honesty, things we've learned, here's things oh, we tend to think, you know what, I do a lot more for this family than anybody realizes. If anyone could see all the time. You know what, maybe some of you have thought this, fortunately I don't believe I have. I was doing just fine before I was ever married. Overcame a lot of difficulty without any help. Why doesn't anybody notice that? You know, we wouldn't have any of this awesome stuff, this house, these cars, all this stuff. We wouldn't have any of this if it weren't for me. This is where pride begins to creep into our hearts. And you can see how easy, it's easy to see how destructive pride is and how easy it is to define. But it's often envy that's hidden deep within us that leads us down that road to a heart that's prideful. And in our homes, friends, uh, if you've got... uh, if you're fortunate enough to have uh, a mom and a dad or a husband and a wife, two hearts that are at peace with God and peace with each other should be our goal. And peace in our heart and with each other, it gives us hope when money becomes a little tight. Money at some point in your life, it's going to become a little tight probably. But peace in your heart gives you hope. Peace in our heart with each other, it protects and it heals when friends or family members are unkind. Peace in our heart and peace with each other, it sustains us when nothing goes as planned. Man, I had a week this week when nothing went as planned. I told my wife, I was telling uh, Pastor Joey earlier, I had one of those weeks where, like, I had control of nothing. I didn't have control of my schedule, my boys' schedule, how, you know, whether my wife is healthy, and I don't have control of any of that. The peace in our heart sustains us when nothing goes as planned, when you don't have control over anything, because there will be weeks like that. And it's God's hope that we live in harmony with each other. But envy is the great enemy of peace. It is hidden, but it destroys us from the inside. And that destruction, it leads us down paths that make the days and the nights in our relationships somewhat difficult. However, there is good news. Finally getting to the good news. That is, there is an antidote to envy. You see, if envy is the great destroyer of peace... And the love of Christ, number three, the love of Christ is the great enemy of envy. The love of Jesus is the destroyer of envy. We mentioned uh, a few minutes ago the reason that Paul wrote this famous passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. The reason was because they were comparing themselves to each other, not just in their homes, but in their communities. And it's true that when we examine envy within the context of our lives and our families, Man, it sounds incredibly dangerous. I'm describing this thing, and you're like, boy, I do not want that in there. But the good news is that those eight positive attributes of love that are listed here that we read, patience, kindness, keeping no record of wrongs, rejoicing with truth, protecting, trusting, hoping, persevering, that kind of love is Christ-like love, and Christ-like love directly counteracts our temptation towards envy, towards comparison and towards pride. And in fact, I'll just say this. When those eight attributes of love are present in our lives, there is less room for envy. When we're putting in love and patience and kindness, there's less room for envy. We can say with complete confidence today, though, friends, the quickest way to peace in our home is a personal relationship with Jesus. 
Man, if it's chaos in your house, focus on your relationship with Jesus first. Because envy, where it comes from, is thinking we don't have something that we deserve to have. Or that what someone else has is unfair. But when we as people, when we accept the grace of Jesus, everything falls underneath that grace. And there's not anything better that we can ask for than that. So it's a little easier to accept the details of our lives being different than we hoped when we first placed our hope in the salvation of Jesus. But here's what the problem, that still leaves us with the question of how do we handle it when envy starts to well up within us? Because if you're around people long enough, you will be envious of somebody. And yes, we ask Jesus for help. But on a practical level, if you are married, you live in a house with somebody, here's what you have to do. We must practice complete honesty with our spouse. 100% complete honesty. When we're honest about a difficult emotion with our spouse, uh, here's the, the thing. Uh, we're afraid when we're honest, it makes us seem weak. When in reality, it binds us together even more tightly than we've ever been bound together. So when our spouse, just to kind of stick with the example, gets an unexpected promotion, or maybe our spouse is the one getting all the praise for your kids being well-behaved, really anything that we wish would come our way instead, if we go have an honest conversation, we're going to find out that we're very likely on the same page. Because as we said before, we've chosen to spend the rest of our lives with someone. We're choosing to believe the best in them. And they're choosing to believe the best in us for better or for worse. You know, one one interesting thing about envy is that uh, it doesn't have a true opposite term. It doesn't have a true opposite. For example, the true opposite of love is hate. true opposite of success is failure. The true opposite of up is down. But there's not really a way to directly counteract envy when we encounter it inside our own heart with one word like with those others. But there is an answer found in Scripture. We see it in what Paul writes in Romans 12, 15. And and friends, we can do this in our homes. Takes us a long ways down the road of being together. It says this, Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Specifically, when it comes to our spouse or those that are close to us, when we make a commitment to be happy for what makes them happy, rejoice when they rejoice, no matter what. When we make a commitment that, man, when they're sad, we're, we're sad. Because it's for better or for worse. When we truly commit that our spouse's success or failure is also our success or failure, then what we do is we defeat envy before it gains a foothold. The way to keep envy from leading to comparison and pride is rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. This morning as we close, friends, we're almost done. I just want to reiterate uh, how important it is that when it comes to true peace in your home and in your heart, peace with God comes in the form of a relationship with Jesus. It's the only way to find it. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Uh, We're almost done this morning. If you're sitting here and you're hearing this or you're home and hearing it and you're wondering how in the world do you battle envy in your own heart? And it, you heard us read these uh, verses, 1 Corinthians 13 earlier. 
about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Just want you to know today that accepting Jesus is the way forward. If you're looking for peace in your heart, looking for peace in your home, and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've wandered far, accepting Jesus is the way forward. If you're here today, you've never known Christ. Maybe you have, but today you're far from him. Today you need to understand that there's salvation for you. The Bible tells us is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's in Romans. But also that God sent his son to the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. John chapter 3. And the short version is that Jesus lived a life with no sin. He died. He rose again. His life was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. And he traded our death for his life. All we have to do as people on earth to receive salvation is ask for forgiveness of sins. Ask Jesus to be Lord of our lives. And when we, what we do often is we signify that by saying a prayer. And uh, do that together here in a moment. But as Pastor Joey just plays quietly uh, before we move on, I'm just kind of going to continue to play. And um, I just want to ask all of you for a moment, reflect on what God may be speaking to you inside of your heart. Just, uh, man, if you're far from the Lord today, ask God to speak to you. We're going to pray together here in a moment. We're going to say a prayer out loud regardless. But uh, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not a Christian today, or maybe you have, but you know in your heart that you're far from him, um, would you just raise your hand across this place so we can know to pray together, to agree together with you? Go ahead and raise your hand if you need to accept Christ or rededicate your life today. Okay, we're going to pray together. I'm just going to... Say a prayer. I'm going to ask all of you in this place to repeat after me. If you didn't raise your hand, then uh, all you're doing is agreeing with those uh, who need to have their heart right with Jesus today. So would you say, uh, pray with me today. Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you came to earth. You lived a life with no sin. You died and you rose again. Today, I ask you for forgiveness of my sins. I make you Lord of my life. In your name, amen. Friends, so whether you raised your hand or whether you didn't, if you said that prayer and you meant it, uh, Jesus is making you new in this moment. Would you stand on your feet? Uh, Pastor Joey's just going to lead us in a short song before we pray and go today. If you said that prayer in your heart and you meant it, after church I have this book I'd love to give you. It says, it's called Following Jesus. Um, love to hear about it. But Pastor Joey, would you lead us uh, as we close today? Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.